Welcome to the Race Forward Pod. I'm your host, Lydia Igwe. Passion and drive can help you achieve any goal. From a young age, our guest speaker had a passion for human rights, equality and fairness. And after graduation, she went into the mainstream banking industry, but this didn't impend her drive to progress the equality agenda. She volunteered in various initiatives to push for inclusivity in and outside her workplace. Her personal experience as a mother offered her the get up and go push to drive inclusivity from the front lines. This was a career turning point for her into a full-time DNI lead role within the company. She steered the race action plan in her current role, pushing for enhanced inclusion goals through three strands, culture, recruitment and progression. Welcome to this thought-provoking conversation with Lucy Adler. Lucy is the head of IND in the commercial banking division of Lloyds Banking Group. She's also a co-chair of the Access Network, which supports colleagues with disabilities and accessibility advocates. Hi Lucy, thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you? Fantastic. And I'm really looking forward to this interview to find out all about diversity and inclusion at Lloyd's. So let, let's get started with the first question I'm definitely dying to know more about. You obviously had many roles during your time at Lloyd's Bank, but what made you go into diversity and inclusion? Oh yeah, great question. And I was sort of considering this earlier actually, because when I was younger and growing up, I never thought that I wanted to go and work for a bank. And I've actually spent my entire career here at Lloyd's, which is coming up to kind of 12 years now. So I joined on their grad programme, did a number of different roles. But but when I was young, I think it's the only time I've ever been super clear when people would ask me, what do you want to do for a job? And I had it very firm in my mind that I wanted to be a human rights lawyer. And I think that's just because... I've always sort of had this sense of, you know, wanting to promote equality and fairness. And obviously, as a kind of 10, 11 year old, I didn't really know what inclusion and diversity was, but I knew there was human rights and I knew there were lawyers. So that seemed to be the, the fix in my mind of how I would how I would do that. But but no, I ended up obviously not not doing that and joining Lloyd's and always was have been involved in inclusion and diversity sort of as a in a volunteer capacity at first so on top of on top of the day job so I've really seen that grow over the last kind of five to ten years and then I realized quite quickly that where my passion was was you know in that area rather than the actual day job that I was doing and then Four years ago, I had my first son, Vincenzo, and when I came back after maternity leave, that was when I, you know, was really, really focused on building my career in inclusion and diversity. And Vincenzo is actually disabled. We didn't know he was going to have a disability until sort of when he was three or four months old. And that kind of gave me a very personal reason for kind of wanting to to drive for change in the inclusion space so sorry that's quite a long answer to your your question but that's how I that's how I got here and that's why I want to stay here. To be honest that's such that's such an inspiring story now that I've actually heard it I mean going on maternity leave what a huge life change for you becoming a mother and then obviously with your with your son as well I can absolutely um, understand why you'd want to put your personal spin on the reasons that you're choosing to go into this career and I guess to be honest 
when you started at the graduate um, level with Lloyd's, you probably didn't know where it was going to take you, did you? But the fact that you'd worked there for 12 years is amazing. You obviously love working at the bank. What's one of the things that you would say is particularly uh, important to you or has helped you stay with Lloyd's? I think because it's such a large organisation, even though I've been here for 12 years, at, at times it's felt like I've worked for different companies. So I've moved around, I've, I've worked in lots of different divisions. I've done the more kind of operational side of things. I've been in retail, frontline, in branches. At the moment, I'm in commercial banking, which is obviously supporting businesses. So, and, and one of the great things about Lloyd's as an organisation is that, you know, there's just so many different roles out there. It doesn't have to be a, I've got to wait for my boss to leave before I can, you know, move up the ladder in my career. You can do sideways moves, you can go, you know, and, and explore all your transferable skills. So that's probably why I've ended up staying here is it, it, even though it's just one company, it's felt like a few different ones at times. And, and I just think also the support that I've had personally coming back from maternity leave, being able to work flexibly to, you know, manage my career as well as a young family. I don't necessarily see or hear about that from friends who work for other organisations. And that's something that I really, really value. Okay, brilliant. Thank you. And there has been a historic underrepresentation of women in the banking sector. But Lloyds Bank has been able to increase the number of women in senior management roles from 28% in 2014 to 37%. How did you achieve this? Yeah, good. When you see it over six years like that, you, you do almost forget sometimes how, how low the starting base was when we started. I think one of the main ways we achieved that was by being very intentional in setting a target for representation of, of women in senior roles. So that target was 40% by 2020. We didn't quite get there, but by having something to aim for, it really helped to focus everybody rather than just having a load of actions and hoping the diversity would come we had a very clear goal to work towards. Now you can't just set a target and not have anything underneath it either. So there was a whole you know, load of activity that, that sat and still goes on around that to first of all, understanding what the barriers were, you know, looking at all of the detail in terms of what percentage of promotions go to women? Is that internal? Is it external? What does the attrition look like? Really understanding the whole pipeline and putting a number of interventions in place to, to make sure that we got there. So yeah, it's and, and in the part of the bank that I work in, you know, the the numbers back in 2014 weren't anywhere near 28%. So we were way down at kind of 12-13%. Uh, if you think of commercial banking, it's quite traditionally a, a male-dominated industry. So yeah, even even bigger movements um, in my division as well. So um, and we're not there yet. We've got more to do. <laughs> oh yeah, I think everybody has, but at least you're setting targets. Did you have to get senior buy-in, obviously, to commit this. Absolutely. So this this came directly from our CEO. And we were one of the first organisations, I think, to have a, a 
a target and you can have endless debates uh, around whether targets are the right thing to do and ultimately one thing I really want to make clear is this is still the right person for the right job this is not positive discrimination that that took place but but by having that tone right from our CEO to say this target is as important as your income target, your profitability target, your cost targets. This is how we want to run our business. Really helped focus everyone else. So that tone right from the top just made it very clear that this was an important business priority for everybody to focus. It wasn't the job of HR. It wasn't the job of IND. Yes, we would be partners and enablers, but it was everybody's responsibility. Um, and I think that was really important. And what do you think were the sort of next steps that you took to ensure that, you know, in, you know, women going into senior management roles, I suppose, are sustainable and it's sort of like sustainable representation? Yeah, so I think a, a few things. So first of all, it's been about building our whole pipeline. So it's not just looking at senior roles and thinking, right, how do we get more women into these roles? It's really understanding what that pipeline moving up through different grades looks like so one of the things that we've been running for a number of years now is a development program aimed at women who are in our more junior roles which is all around confidence building some very kind of specific skills in terms of interview all of the things that women were telling us they felt quite nervous about so we're really kind of trying to build the confidence and also giving people role models to, to hear from. And it's been a really interesting journey in that space, because I think a lot of the time we would get somebody really, really senior to come and talk and say, look, I'm a senior woman. This is how this is my career journey. This is how I've done it. And actually, a lot of the time women were saying to us, you know, that's great, but I, I can't relate to that. That person is like four or five grades above me. And it just feels, you know, far too out there. I want to hear from someone that's, you know, made it to the grade above or two grades above and, and how they did that. So it's been a really interesting journey. One of the other things that we did was introduce a rule for shortlists to interview where we said that for our senior roles, there had to be at least one suitably qualified female on the shortlist for interview. And what that made people do was think much more broadly about the whole recruitment process. So it was, am I writing my job advert in a way that isn't going to switch certain demographics off? Where am I advertising? Am I looking at my talent pools internally? How am I thinking about this role? Am I being quite narrow minded in that I, you know, I want someone to be a perfect fit? Am I thinking about the diversity of the team in general and one of the things we're starting to think about now is we've always talked about cultural fit when it comes to people joining the organisation. And now we're starting to move along to more of a culture ad. So what can someone bring to your team that's different to what you already have? Mm. So, yeah, I could talk forever. You can probably <laughs> tell. <laughs> I love it. No, but you're absolutely right. Moving away from culture fit to culture ad, that's actually you know, a, a term that's coined very recently and a lot more organisations are really adapting to that and really taking it on board. So it's good to hear that. And what about your race action plan that you've also got a dedicated team to oversee? I mean, could you give us a bit more information about this and 
What have been some of the challenges that you face when implementing such a plan? Yeah, sure. So the the race action plan, it's coming up to being a sort of a year old now. And I guess it was around this time last year when we had the awful murder of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement, it really prompted us as an organisation, like many other organisations, to to sit down and, and think, are we doing enough in this space? And we, we'd always had a target to increase representation from an ethnicity perspective. And that, that used to be grouping people together under that horrible government term that nobody's ever liked, um, BAME. So we had a, a target and that was set in 2018 to increase overall numbers of black, Asian and minority ethnic colleagues but also in senior roles as well. And when we looked at that, we were sort of meeting those targets that we'd set ourselves and we were saying, haven't we done a good job? You know, we're, we're much more getting much more reflective of society and the UK labour market. But this time last year, off the back of the Black Lives Matters protest, we, we sat down and said, actually, let's look at the individual groups that make up that umbrella term. Let's look at representation of our black colleagues, our Asian colleagues and our minority ethnic colleagues. And what we found was by grouping everyone together, we were massively missing the fact that our black colleagues were seriously underrepresented in the organisation, in particular in senior roles. And hence our, our race action plan was born and one of the signature actions in that plan was in, in the learnings that we took from increasing female representation was to set a target to improve the representation of our black colleagues at senior roles. And that, that targets 3% by 2025. And that's based on the current kind of UK labour market. Now we're in the middle of getting a new census. So we'll see what that tells us in terms of, of the, the target and the aspiration we're aiming for. But again, just like female representation, you can't just have a target and nothing to sit underneath that to back it up. So our race action plan focuses on three key areas, um, culture, recruitment and progression. And it's it's born out of what our colleagues were telling us at the time. So we had a number of listening sessions, some anonymous, some not anonymous, with black colleagues from across the organisation. And that's where the, the race action plan came from. And you mentioned in your question about having a dedicated team. And this is something I think is really important is you can't run some of these things properly by volunteers doing it on top of their day jobs. You, you do need dedicated resource to really properly focus your actions and, and to embed them across the business. I think that's really important. Absolutely. I mean, I know that a lot of organisations do have networks, staff networks that obviously they sort of lean on or work with to embed yep. specifically kind of race or ethnicity type initiatives. But your investment in a team clearly shows that commitment to progressing your black employees. Could you tell us a little bit about the three strands? You talked about culture, recruitment and progression. Just a little bit more information about kind of what your hoping to achieve with each sort of strand of that action plan 
Sure. So in the, the culture space, one of the key initiatives at the moment is all around education. And that was something we heard time and time again from our black colleagues was we don't feel like our white colleagues understand racism, understand the issues we're facing, and there just needs to be more education. So we've started a really comprehensive uh, race education programme and that's targeted at, at different audiences for different times. So at the moment, every single line manager across the group is undertaking, unfortunately still virtually, but a really interactive three and a half hour session, which is all around how you move to be actively anti-racist. It covers uh, topics like microaggressions. It, it involves a sort of a role play element where it's, you know, put yourself in the shoes of observing a microaggression and, and exploring what would I do. And most importantly, we're asking our line managers to then have conversations with their teams. We're trying to take away some of the fear around talking about race. Later on this year, we're going to move to all colleagues, so not just line managers. And then there's going to be something separate for our more senior leadership population. And some of our specialist teams, so some of our sort of HR, sort of almost grievance and harassment teams have undergone a kind of much more in-depth version of that line manager training as well. So, yeah, that's that's been one of the really important things in the culture space. And the other kind of big thing that sits underneath that is just really addressing all types of inappropriate behaviour, whether that's from customers to colleagues, from colleagues to each other. It's we're trying to build this culture around not being bystanders and, and speaking up. And one of our core values as an organisation has always been I speak up, challenge and act so we're, we're trying to, you know, really show what does that mean when we talk about being anti-racist? Mm, so important. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Speak up, challenge and act. That in itself is going to make somebody think, isn't it? I love the fact that you're doing anti-racist education and allowing people to actually empathise uh, and putting themselves into you know, the shoes of a, a black or Asian or ethnic employee and the fact that you're then spreading that across in different groups. What's been the kind of reaction to that? Are people sort of embracing it? Are you finding any challenges? That's a really good question. So, yes, as you would expect, there are some challenges. There's There's been, you know, with any kind of IND initiatives, I think you get people who are early adopters who say, yes, I'm so proud to see, you know, the bank talking about this. I'm a massive advocate. I'm an ally. Let me let me help. Let me get involved. You have a group of people in the middle who are, oh, I'm not too sure. And what's been really lovely with that group is we've seen people come out of the training saying things like, you know, I really wasn't sure about why I had to go on this. Uh, I wasn't sure what it was going to be. I thought I might feel uncomfortable. I didn't see how it was appropriate for work but it's really opened my mind and you know I, I, it was one of the best pieces of training I've been on and I see why this is important now then you have a group at the other end of the scale who are you know this is a political agenda I don't agree with it I you know I, I I'm never my mind is never going to be changed mm. um, and one of the things I always talk about is it's that majority of people who are sat in the middle 
where we have the most opportunity to, I always talk about trying to provide light bulb moments for people. And yeah, that's, that's the group we're trying to focus on at the moment. You can tackle things at different times, can't you? You can never bite an apple with one bite. So <laughs> Exactly. But I think you're in the sort of the same space as many, many organisations where they're having challenges with certain groups. But then you have to take everybody along with the journey. It doesn't mean they'll get there at the same time, though, right? So, no, that Exactly. And then what about the kind of the recruitment and progression bit, just quickly? Yeah, so I think from from the recruitment perspective and progression, obviously we've set ourselves this this target of 3% in senior roles. So that means kind of two things for us. So one, it's in the same way we did for women, it's looking at our pipeline of black colleagues who are in more junior grades and thinking, how do we get closer to them? How do we understand how we can, you know, support them through things like different talent programs, different career programs. So when we're doing things like succession planning, when we're having, you know, talent interventions, are we when we're looking at things like our graduate scheme and our apprentices and our internships, which are, you know, our talent for the future, are we looking at intakes that come in through those programs and making sure that they're as diverse as they can be which I think is isn't something we've intentionally done before so that's been really important and then the other thing is we know that in order to reach our our target of three percent it can't just come from colleagues who are already working for us it's about better understanding the black talent that's out there externally working with some recruitment partners in that space to really be purposeful about trying to bring talent into the organization from externally as well and that's really really important too from a role model perspective because one of the things our black colleagues tell us all of the time is I don't see anybody that looks like me on any leadership teams so how can I be expected to get there? And we know that that visible representation is really important. So the, the kind of progression and the recruitment sides of it are really focusing on getting that mix of internal kind of promotions, talent, career development and external recruitment. Right. It sounds like you're doing a lot of listening as well because you said that the action plan came as a result of what happened obviously last year and even now you know with what's happening now with George Floyd's case yeah <laughs> it's it's not going away is it in terms of kind of the 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 agenda of people wanting to feel like they belong and wanting equality and you know wanting to feel respected and, and wanting people to listen and take action so yeah it's really good and it's very interesting to hear about what you're doing and I, I wish you the best of luck with it and I'm looking forward to finding out when we catch up in a few years or so to see how it's gone. Thank you. You're obviously increasing diversity of the workforce so how are you then making these employees feel included you know can, the inclusion part is so important isn't it? It's really really important and there's that fabulous quote which is you know, diversity is being invited to the party, inclusion is being asked to dance. And and I think too often we've been too focused on the diversity element. 
and actually a couple of years ago you you might have noticed in this this podcast I I always put the inclusion first so we always talk about IND inclusion and diversity and our you know our teams at IND and that was a very deliberate switch because we really wanted to make sure that the inclusion element was kind of first and foremost because Otherwise, you spend so much time, you know, if you're only focused on on recruitment and getting people into the organisation, if the experience when they're here isn't what they were promised, if they don't feel included, they're going to leave. So that's really important. That's why, you know, as part of our race action plan, we have that whole work stream that's all around culture. And that applies, I guess, to all areas of IND and just the way we want to be as an organisation as well. So am I going to sit here and say, yeah, we've nailed it? No, absolutely not. Um, But it's definitely a key part of our, our overall strategy. And what are some of the ways in which you can track, I guess, if people are feeling like they belong? you sort of look at data or we do so obviously one of our key things that we get quite regularly is you know attrition so the the colleagues who are leaving the business and we're always looking at that to say you know is there a disproportionate amount of you know colleagues from underrepresented groups leaving us and if so we need to dig into that and understand why and we also do a colleague survey uh, twice a year where as well as cutting the results of that survey by gender, by ethnicity, we also ask some very targeted questions around, you know, do you, particularly around belonging, is, is include, do you think inclusion is important to your line manager? Is it, do you feel it's important to the organisation? And that gives us a really good sense check in terms of how people are feeling. One of the really interesting things that that came out of that the last time we did it was we asked colleagues the question, my line manager feels comfortable talking about race and it's on a scale of sort of agree to disagree. And when you looked at that, first of all, it was really, really high percentage were agreeing. It was something like, you know, high 85, early 90%. But then when you looked into how our black colleagues were answering that versus how our white colleagues were answering it, there was a a massive discrepancy. That survey always gives us a really good sense check of, you know, how does this actually feel? As well as the, the sort of the regular listening sessions we talked about earlier. Fantastic. And in terms of kind of what's been going on, obviously, on a global pandemic that everybody's had to adjust to, you've you've switched to an agile working policy. Why did you make this switch? And, and what do you think have been the benefits? Yeah, so we have always had an agile working, well, not always. We Pre-pandemic, we've always been exploring agile working. And, and actually that that sits within our IND team at a group level because it's such an enabler to inclusion. Mm. And it's just, you know, whether you're talking about people with caring responsibilities, colleagues with disabilities, you know, people that are coming back from maternity leave, etc. Being able to explore true agile working where it works for individuals, it works for teams, it works for the organisation has been really, really important. I think we, like most other organisations, have, you know, tested that to the extreme when it comes to home working during the pandemic. 
And we're now really thoughtful about what does the future of work look like? I think we're probably going to end up in a bit of a hybrid model of, you know, there are some people who are saying, I've loved working from home. I want to do it all the time. Let me keep going. There are others, if you think more of our kind of graduate population, who are saying, oh, I live in a house share. I'm sharing my Wi-Fi with five other people. I've got no working space. All I'm in is my bedroom all the time. Get me into an office. I want to see people. I want that office <laughs> environment. <laughs> and then you'll have all sorts in between. <laughs> you can't blame them, though. I mean, that's fair enough, isn't it? <laughs> I know. I mean, even I'm sick of working from home now. And whilst it's been great to, you know, like take the kids to school and all of that stuff. I'm also like, I just want to put my heels on and go go into London. And <laughs> it's true. It's not quite the same, is it? <laughs> oh, brilliant! And you know, we've talked a lot around your inclusion and diversity efforts, and you talked about, you know, your black employees specifically saying that they want to see more people that look like them. And so, you're trying to eradicate stereotypes as well through advertising. So, how have you kind of manage to do this or, or what do you think is the important benefit in doing this in the first place yeah I think it's really interesting so a couple of years ago our marketing team did a really interesting piece of research around exactly that stereotypes in advertising and it's interesting because it's not just about representation in advertising it's about well when you do have diversity in your adverts are you reinforcing negative stereotypes and I and we as an organization because because we're so large and we're the biggest bank in the UK and we we do have a particularly big presence on TV adverts etc we have a responsibility and an opportunity to change the playing field here and you know it's such an interesting space and I think we saw over Christmas time in particular a lot of backlash from supermarkets like Sainsbury's and Tesco's who were featuring more diversity in their advertising you know black families celebrating Christmas and some horrendous racist comments off of the back of that and it was a real opportunity for brands to stand up and say "Uh -uh, we're not having this and I really liked how some of that was playing out and one of the things we've started to do as an organization is learn from some of that so we think of the social media space our policy in the past was always to ignore so if we had racist comments or or discriminatory comments and we get them around things like pride you know we have you know featured same-sex couples in some of our adverts and whenever we've had negative comments it's always been ignore delete block And actually, when we started to to think about, well, what does it mean to be actively anti-racist, sexist, homophobic, that that didn't fly anymore. We wanted to be start to be a bit braver and and call people out like we've seen so many other brands do so well. So I think all organisations have a really important role to play in that. And again, it's about being intentionally thoughtful about some of this because it's not good enough anymore to say oh we didn't mean it in that way it we didn't think about it 
absolutely and that goes back to your whole ethos around speaking up challenging and acting so that that's all in line with that and it yes definitely been interesting watching the conversations play out on social media and I do think that you do need to address and speak up and call it out and it's great to hear that you are really through your advertising trying to include and feel uh, and make people feel like they belong you know and so they can see themselves in that and what challenges do you think you face when you're trying to kind of move diversity and inclusion along? Because it's it's such a long journey that it will take to get to anywhere that's even near to perfect. It's more about progression. So what do you think is the biggest challenge? Um, I think one of the challenges at the moment, as you've said, it's it's the time that some of these changes take. And sometimes it feels too slow. I think in particular for some of our colleagues who are thinking it's been nearly a year since we launched this race action plan. I've seen stuff, but fundamentally, I'm still not seeing anyone that looks like me in leadership teams. Yeah. When's that going to change? The other thing that I'm really mindful of and that I've been quite thoughtful about over the last year is I'm I'm still frustrated and cross with with myself and us as an organization that it took such a horrific event of George Floyd being murdered for us to really hold the mirror up and say are we doing enough in this space Mm. and I'm I'm mindful of what else is there hiding in plain sight that we're not properly addressing and that's that's the other thing that plays on my mind. That's such a humble and, you know, heartfelt response there, Lucy. But, you know, I guess the main thing is that you're doing something about it and you're listening. So, you know, unless you've got this crystal ball where you can see everything, you know. But I think that it's people like you that have this sort of empathetic attitude and action-orientated attitude that will make the change but I do understand that you know it's a you're aiming to the North Star but it's you're not sure when you're going to get there but you do have some clear goals so I wouldn't be too harsh on yourself (laughs) Um, I think I think it's good to know that you've got these challenges and so what do you do to kind of reach out and learn from what's going on not just in your sector but just in general I mean do you have do you have places to go to kind of to find out more or to, to sort of get some more insight? I think that's one of the real positives of social media is that it, and, and at the moment as well, with everything kind of being on Zoom and virtually, you know, you don't have to wait for the annual uh, IND conference to go and find what other people are doing. Yeah. And it's been so great sort of connecting with different people on LinkedIn. Um, there's some really brilliant accounts on Instagram as well that I love so I'm a a massive fan of um, the guys behind everyday racism okay we got them in to do a a talk for us in Black History Month last year and I just I just love everything they're doing on their platform and and I think it's really the other thing that's that's good about the part of the bank I work in is that obviously we support different you know businesses and often people come and say you know, I've seen your race action plan or I've seen what you're doing in the IND space. We're on our IND journey. Can we talk to you? Can we come and learn from each other? So, you know, make lots of connections as well with with our clients. And that's been really, really helpful too. 
Amazing. Thank you so much for your time, Lucy. It's so interesting to hear about everything that you're doing and finally meet you as well, because we, we connect. Yes. So um, it just shows the power of, of LinkedIn. Um, do you have any final words? You know, anything that you want to leave people with? No, I guess it's really interesting. So I was having a conversation um, with one of my counterparts actually at another organization and she asked me a question right at the end which really floored me and it, she said um what what are you doing for your own mental health because working in this space can be tough absolutely I was like she's she's so right because sometimes it does feel like an impossible task especially with everything going on you know outside of your control uh, even just getting that awful race report which you know we haven't touched on but you know when that came out it was just oh my god why why is the government trying to undo everything we're working towards <laughs> I know <laughs> and and sometimes it's yeah it's just for anyone that's kind of working in this space where you feel like it feels like an impossible task just break it down and focus on what you can control and take time for yourself when you need to switch off from it all make sure you do that as well absolutely nice gin and tonic and some yoga <laughs> exactly <laughs> oh Lucy it's been brilliant thank you so much thank you for listening to the race forward pod I'm your host Lydia Igway if you enjoyed this episode please don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Spotify or wherever you listen to the podcast do visit us on social media at RaceForwardPod or visit our website www.racefordpod.com. See you in the next episode.